Hey, everybody. My name is Justin Murphy, and this is the Other Life Podcast, where I talk with indie creators, digital hustlers, and unique internet personalities about how to escape from institutional conformity and succeed on the internet instead. To learn more about the Other Life Project, go to otherlife.co. That's otherlife.co. And if you like what I'm doing, I just have one quick favor to ask. Please go and just leave a review in iTunes. It really helps others find the show, and I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much, and a big shout out, especially to my patrons. I could not do this without you all. So thanks. And now, on to the show. Yo, yo. All right. I think we're about ready to start. The mics are on. 13 homies. We got 13 people so far. That will certainly go up to 10,000 probably once the fire conversation really takes off. Uh, let me turn this uh, little brand thing off. I'm aiming for 41. Whoa. There we go. All right. Are we in focus? We sound all right? I think we're all good. What's up, gang? Uh, welcome to the Other Life Podcast. Thanks for coming out. As always, you'll notice I'm in a totally different environment now. This is the beginning, the very, very beginning of my little home studio that I'm building in Austin, Texas, where I just moved. I got here like five days ago with my wife and we hardly have any furniture, but first thing I did was get some kind of little setup together so I could start having all my cool friends in Austin come over and start, uh, yeah, building out this podcast in a live in-person way. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. There's going to be a lot more of this. I have a ton of badass friends in Austin. One of them is Jacob, but you know me folks. I'm not interested in like famous people. I'm interested in the w crazy geniuses you've never heard of, just badass, cool people doing really interesting, weird things who you've never heard of. Famous people are overrated. There are some famous people in Austin. I'll probably get to meet some of them eventually, but I have a massive network of just super cool, badass people doing cool, interesting things. And that's going to be the lion's share of the podcast. I'm just going to have uh, all of Austin's underground, basically, up in this live studio here over the next several months, maybe years. We'll see. But uh, basically, folks, I just want to welcome you to, and I want to welcome you, Jacob, as the very first guest on my on the on the Austin epoch of the Other Life podcast. I want to just welcome the world to a new era. This is a new era of Justin Murphy, a new era of the Other Life podcast. This is the beginning of a major inflection point for the show. I really do believe that. I'm not. I'm smiling and I'm you know being a little jokey, but I I really do believe that. And uh, there's just so many badass people here who. I already know. And then a whole bunch of badass people who I don't know yet, but probably will know because I'm only like one or two people removed from them. And my mission over the next year or two really is to bring into this room all of the most interesting, genuine, uh, kind of radically intellectual kind of creators, founders, and like weirdo hustlers. So I want to talk with people who are doing things in crypto. I want to talk with people who are doing like 3D printed guns. This has become like an obsession of mine recently. I'm super, it's actually like a very thriving space. Really cool. I want to meet founders with like really weird visionary uh, early stage projects and uh, writers and creators and all kinds of, yeah, the kinds of people I've been talking with mostly through the internet. Now I want to, you know, kind of scour the Austin scene and get people in here. That's my vision. Well, I think I should be the one welcoming you to Austin, Justin. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm welcoming my audience and you're yes. welcoming me. And you're welcoming me to your podcast. That's right. Yes. That's right. And to your home and to your studio. And totally. I'm very happy to be christening. Um, I, I think Austin has quite a few uh, interesting people and thinkers. It seems to be becoming, um, well, it already is something. Totally. Uh, which is sort of the, the hub of 
Texas alternative culture um, and really the hub of alternative culture for the whole region of the Southwest. Uh, people would come to Austin for, for the last, it has, has this reputation going back decades, uh, maybe half a century. Right. Um, and then it's becoming also a center of my people, which is sort of the tech people, uh, especially the tech people that are also into art and exploring ideas and, um, and, and making the way they live into a form of art. Uh, and that is, um, and in that, I think Austin has become sort of the number three uh, city maybe in America for tech, depending on uh, the, the the kind of tech that you're doing, maybe four, uh, but certainly for the startup scene, I think number three. And um, it's kind of a boom town. Yeah, totally. And how long have you been here? I've been here two years. Right on. And what what are your general impressions so far after two years? Like, do you love it? Do you Are you on the fence about it? Or what's your overall take? think it's a great place to be for um for people uh and because uh, you're coming from the bay area you yeah. lived in san francisco for how long uh, i lived in i lived in, in california for 10 years uh, in the bay area for about seven dude so you moved to austin like before it was cool to move to austin <laughs> I, I guess i mean it was always it was cool to move to austin for a lot longer than that do you feel like you are very prescient for that do you take some credit for like foreseeing that austin was a good spot to move before a lot of other people did i mean like i said i think uh the, the South by Southwest Tech Festival, when that split off from the music festival, I think it really put Austin on the map as far as uh, a tech location. And, um, and there's also a, a VC. I think there was one of the VCs had a or incubators had a had an Austin branch. Uh, forgot the name of that one. The one I can't think of. Yeah. Um, the one that's in Austin Library and uh, Jason Kalkanis, maybe was, you know, that one. OK. Um, and uh but um, but yeah, Austin's really come on the radar for a lot of people sort of fleeing the cities uh, during the pandemic, fleeing the zombie hordes. Um, and uh, it's a little bit stayed a little bit more civilized. And in, and in Texas, we we don't really like lockdowns very much. So, um, yeah, it's pretty chill out here. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, there's some restrictions, you know, you can't eat inside at the bars. We sat outside in the cold the other night. Um, right. But uh, but it's not if you try to get too authoritarian, people push back. And, um, so the, the anti COVID measures have been measured, uh, yeah. and it hasn't been too bad. So we're going to talk about a bunch of things in tonight's little live stream podcast. Uh, one among them is going to be Bitcoin, which is going through the roof. It's fucking crazy. If you hold Bitcoin, you're probably like Jacob and I checking, uh, the charts every day. Like it seems like Bitcoin hits an all time high every day. Jacob, actually, one of the reasons I wanted to have Jacob on here is because Jacob is a, a longtime Bitcoin hodler. So, uh, Bitcoin, uh, Jacob's got some good perspective on Bitcoin and, and I'm, I'm more of a newcomer, but like even I have, I, I bought a good bit of Bitcoin like a, more than a year ago. So in the recent bull run, I'm like doing very, very well. It's like almost it's almost to, for me personally, the, the Bitcoin bull run right now is almost like slightly life changing, not fundamentally life changing. But it's like my my actual net worth is is uh, increasing pretty substantially to a point where it's like, whoa, I, yeah. So, um, Justin, so your net worth is worth is not increasing denominated in Bitcoin. That's right. But denominated in U.S. dollars, it is. Sure. And most things that people buy and, and most of the ways in which people think is denominated in dollars. I mean, my student loans are certainly denominated in U.S. dollars for now. <laughs> yeah, for now. In any event, uh, these are our different uh, perspectives on this. So I'm, I'm certainly 
I'm not a, a, a super OG Bitcoin hodler, but uh, I'm, I've become super obsessed with it recently for obvious reasons. And uh, Jacob has some good perspective on that. And uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about tonight uh, for obvious reasons is all of the shit kicking off in Washington, D.C., because my uh, good friend Alex Moyer is there and uh, she's there with I don't know if you saw this at all. Did you follow this at all? Uh, but uh, no, she's there is with she on Twitter or something. Um, she's not on Twitter, but she's on Instagram. Okay. She's so Alex Moyer, who's in Austin also, who I hung out with the other night. I introduced you yeah, yeah. the other night. And, uh, so she's very nice lady. She happens to be in DC and, uh, she's with John mouse and Ariel pink, the two famous, uh, kind of indie musicians. And it's pretty interesting. Cause right now, basically on Twitter, uh, John, uh, John mouse and Ariel pink are getting a ton of shit for being there. Cause you know, they come from a kind of roughly left wing kind of like cultural milieu. And in fact, when I, um, back in the day, like when I was in undergrad, I really, really admired both of them as, as emblems of kind of like radical intrinsic, what I saw as kind of intrinsically kind of left wing kind of countercultural, uh, you know, artistic independence. And, uh, back when I was like an anarcho communist living in a squat. And it's really interesting to note that now, I'm a middle-aged man and I still like admire those guys and uh, they're getting in trouble for like having uh, not even being associated with Trump necessarily, but just being at a place that is associated with Trump. Uh, I think they were just there kind of exploring is my understanding, uh, just going, going to check it out basically. Um, but they're getting a ton of shit. And so I wanted to kind of just basically talk about the capital conflicts because uh, I just think, think it's really interesting. And I don't, I asked you if you had some, some takes and you said you, you might. So well, we'll, we'll give it a shot. We'll try to, we'll try to have some takes, but um, so uh, just to situate ourselves in time here. Absolutely. Um, today is the first day that Bitcoin has ever hit 40,000 us dollars on any exchange that we, that we know of. Uh, so that, that is a bit of a timestamp. Uh, you have been in Austin for uh, roughly 1000 blocks. <laughs> Uh, since, uh, you know, Bitcoin is an unforgeable metric of time. Um, when you moved, you, you should have sent a, a small Bitcoin transaction to the blockchain saying Justin has moved to Austin. And then that would have been encapsulated in the blockchain for all time. Uh, we would have always known how to situate any other blockchain event relative to your, to your moving. Um, but yeah, with regards to the capital, um, I think a lot of people went or uh, just to see a show. And, uh, and you know, I don't think anybody expected um, what did happen uh, and the shit that did hit the fan, um, uh, which was, uh, uh, which, which ended up with a Viking in the, in the speaker's chair, uh, sort of uh, taking selfies. Um, I, I think we can assume most people know the basics because it's all over the news, but the, the TLDRs, you're right, there was a big uh, kind of pro-Trump protest a lot of people who kind of believe that the election is being stolen a lot of people converged on washington dc for a typical kind of rally protest or whatever but i guess it got pretty militant and uh basically a group of them stormed the capitol building entered the capitol building there were uh, at, a, at a certain point there were police barricades inside the capitol building people broke through it and actually did make it into do you know what what was the chamber exactly i, I believe that was the house of representatives and yeah you can see like protesters actually sitting in chairs and someone made it into nancy pelosi's office and took a selfie and uh yeah and then to me the most striking photos were the photos of there was one chamber that was blocked off with chairs and things like that and there were like secret service agents with their guns out like pointed at the door like waiting for someone to break through the door it's fucking crazy and one poor woman was shot and killed um and a bunch of people were injured i mean there's definitely there was definitely something um larpy and buffoonish about uh the whole event and and it would have been um 
I, I would have felt comfortable taking just a complete hilarity take on it if it wasn't for the fact that someone was in fact shot and, and killed. Um, and, um, you know, and there's a way that uh, I think we've become, uh, we have to put the, the events of yesterday in context of everything that's happened this year in America, including uh, an outbreak of political violence to um, an extent unprecedented since the 60s, at least. Um, and, uh, and what happens is, uh, you know, I was counting, uh, I was doing a little body count when I, when the protest first broke out over the summer and I, I got up to over 30, uh, deaths associated with the protest. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of times, um, these things start off as uh, a quasi game. Um, like I, I think Chaz was quasi serious, like, uh, and two people died in Chaz, three people died. Three people shot. And I forget. It's either the body count of Chaz was somewhere between two to three. Um, and uh, the, the the fact is, when you play these dangerous games, like people are scared, people are armed, um, people are driving vehicles, people are doing all sorts of things where uh, where where I mean, death is possible. Yeah. So I can comment on something here from my personal experience because many of you might know that I don't know. I think you know this, but I was pretty militant like left-wing protester for many years especially around the occupy time so i basically i mean I, i've i've like as part of a mob crowd i have like maneuvered against police many times i've broken through barricades many times i've busted into like buildings many times like from police lines i've done this many times actually over like with from the it was mostly in the 2012 to 2014 uh 2011 let's say to 2013 2014 period uh, I did a lot of that. And the first thing that I would say watching kind of the footage coming out of the, the Capitol recently is what a lot of people don't realize is that basically it it really is a game. Like the ma the dominant kind of emotion that you experience in this type of thing is a game. It's fun. It's really fun. And, and it's actually hard to appreciate if you've never been in it. But it's it's almost it's almost not even political. It's almost more like sport than than politics like when you're trying to break through the police line to get into the building you're not supposed to get into it's it's really not like your your mindset is not like a uh, military commander trying to like take power your mindset is more like when you're like playing soccer with your buddies and like you're trying to like get around and get the ball on the goal like that's more of this like the underlying psychological substrate of this type of thing i mean if you look at the photos you know you can see it it's it's actually very reminiscent of occupy in a weird way it's kind of like a in the sense that uh, people have like very colorful dress. People, are, there's clearly a kind of like fun, performative, expressive aspect to it. People dressing like Vikings, Vikings, and and this and that, and it's a little bit ridiculous, but it's also kind of carnivalesque, and it is a kind of expression of uh, it, it's a certain kind of uh, exercise of of freedom and uh, kind of kind of liberty in a way, in a, in a gamified way. And so, yeah, that's something I can totally relate with. Now, what I think is very fascinating about it is that this is now like in a right wing register because generally historically you know militant protest militant civil popular civil disobedience is generally a left-wing tradition there are right-wing coups in history of course um but for the most part when you have large groups in public protesting something like with a kind of social justice message and and you know claiming that the election is stolen it is essentially a kind of social justice message it's like there a, a wrong has been done to the public and we are going to uh, redress it by public manifestation that's overwhelmingly a left-wing tradition and uh it's pretty 
especially when it becomes militant and you start seeing things like civil disobedience. And uh, I just think that's really, really fascinating because I, I, I've floated the hypothesis a few times that I suspect some kind of weird ideological or party realignment is taking place where the, it's actually the intersectional like woke people who are becoming like the party of law and order. And, and, uh, and uh, it's like the populist nationalist, right. That is channeling or trafficking a lot of actually kind of popular uh, populist kind of like anti-establishment energy. So that's what I was thinking when I was watching the events unfold. Uh, I just thought it was very fascinating and somewhat, somewhat intriguing and provocative to see a lot of my kind of like left wing Occupy esque uh, kind of like energies and aesthetics in a weird way being ported to this kind of like right wing or that's the thing. Trump is not even particularly right wing. Like that's not what he especially is, but you should well, say. What um, yeah, I think there, there is this growth of right wing populism. Um, and, and there is a way I agree with you that uh, the left is becoming more like the, the militant left is sort of the shock troops for HR. Right. Like, like if you look at like um, the protest this summer and then the protest today or yesterday, uh, like which one, what were all the corporations uh, putting out messages in favor of and all the civil leaders and which one were they all condemning? Uh, There's a way that that left is uh, is very uh, despite it's supposedly anti-corporate message. uh, We have this phenomenon of, of woke capital where the corporations fall over themselves, everyone from Doritos to Oreos to Citibank um, to, to signal their support for left-wing cultural causes. Um, and, and, then that, and, and even, um, even when there is massive violence breaking out in America in the name of those causes, they still feel like um, it is in their best interest to support it. Um, and so there's not really like this 1970s Nixon voter, moral majority, silent majority that's like, uh, like middle America, or at least a large faction of it is kind of, you know, they're, they're, they are the middle managers in these corporations and they're, they're on board with this ideology. Um, and, and we're not really seeing a backlash like Trump lost the election, despite the fact that you had the largest breakout of domestic political violence in 60 years. Right. Um, and then, uh, but on the, on the right, it is transgressive. Uh, you're, um, and I mean, so one, uh, one sort of simplistic way to analyze this is to say, oh, well, the left is good and the right is evil. So that's why the corporations support the left and not the right. But I think that's a little too simplistic. Um, And although left-wing causes do tend to have more of an altruistic jargon uh, to them. um, But uh, yeah, I I think the the militant right or the populist right is uh, is not conservative. Uh, Like this idea that conservative and Right. right wing uh, no, there's very strong egalitarian and redistributive pre- political preferences in the nationalist populist right, for sure. Yeah, it is a, it is a radicalness of the right, uh, which is something that twists our brains a little bit. But like, who were the, con- I mean, this is over the top comparison, but you know, in, in uh, Weimar Germany, you had the, the, the red communists street fighting against the uh, brown shirted Nazis, right? Um, and, uh, those two were radical parties and who were the conservatives in that? It wasn't the Nazis. It would have been like the monarchists, the aristocrats, the people that wanted to go back to, or, uh, like, and they 
weren't the dominant party. Like it was someone that wanted to, to preserve the old ways of Germany. Right. And the Nazis were not the old ways of Germany. Right. They, they were a rebirth into some sort of, both the communists and the Nazis offered a rebirth into some new kind of vision. That's right. Um, and so now scale that extremism down a lot for American political factions. Uh, and um, I think that's what's going on. Like the real conservatives stayed at home and uh, went to church and prayed for their country uh, when they saw all that going on. I like it. I like it. One thing that I saw people debating was, you know, why is it so easy for these protesters to get into the Capitol? It should have been locked down more. But you know, something really interesting that people might not appreciate. I'm about to drop some knowledge bombs on everybody. The Did you know the Capitol building was basically open to the public with no security, no metal detectors, no nothing as late as 1970? It was only in 1971 that security measures were really put in place to uh, filter who could go in and out of the Capitol building. Mm. And do you know why that was? Do you know what triggered that? 1971. I'm gonna, uh, oh, I do know. I do know. Uh, do, but do you want to say anyway? Because No, I, I, I want to be impressed if you have it right. Uh, I, I think it was uh, Puerto Rican separatist terrorists. Oh, cl- uh, close. Maybe there was an effect on it that, that I'm not aware well, I, of. I, I'm pretty okay. It might've been a little later, but <clears> you're there, very close to what I had in mind. There was a case of a Puerto Rican separatist uh, terrorist getting into the Capitol um, balcony and shooting oh, no shit. four representatives back in the seventies. No shit. Yeah. Okay. So that case could totally be one factor that I'm not aware of, but the, uh, the specific factor that I'm aware of is In 1971, there was a bombing by the Weather Underground in the Capitol building. And you know how they did it? They just walked in. (laughs) They walked in in multiple times and scouted it out and planned it just by walking in and out regularly. And then they brought in a bomb and they bombed the the Capitol building. They then subsequently um, did the Pentagon, too. Uh, these were fairly superficial attacks, um, in a lot of the weather underground bombings, not, there were some people hurt and and some people killed, but many of them were kind of for show. It was like a show of power. Um, so it was, it was often like they would stuff it in like some basement, you know, just to kind of like show their power, but not necessarily hurt people. But, uh, it was only when the weather underground bombed in the 70, in 1971 that, uh, that led my understanding is that that led to uh, imposing things like metal detectors and people had to, it was only after that that people had to, for instance, show an ID card, uh, which now we take for granted, right? When you go into any government building, you totally take for granted that there's a process for filtering. Uh, but it was actually left-wing terrorism that was the basis of that. Uh, so it's just kind of interesting. Again, like thinking about the ideological valences of what's going on right now, it's not obvious. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not clear. And uh, if you compare the Capitol protests to the tradition of left-wing militant protests against the Capitol, it's much worse. You cited one. And then also in, yeah, 1983, there was another uh, bombing at the Capitol building, I believe. And I think the security measures increased then. So, um, yeah, I, I, I do think in some weird way we haven't fully comprehended or modeled yet. The, uh, the, these protesters at the Capitol are kind of channeling a certain kind of transgressive left, like culturally left countercultural kind of uh, energy that, 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 I think we just don't really have good models for comprehending or describing. Yeah, it's definitely uh, definitely a chaotic aligned um, energy. It's like the you know the, <laughs> the 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 radical right, if we want to call it that, or the alt right. If I, mean, I think it's become a bit of a perjurative, and but um, the internet right, if you will, uh, it was definitely birthed on 4chan, um, or or at least incubated on 4chan, uh, which has this very chaotic um, energy, this infused with humor. Uh, throughout 
um, which both is a weapon and a, a cover and and also the message, uh, which is y'all take yourself too seriously. It's like, um, I mean, it's very much, I mean, they, they love the Joker, right? And it's very much a Joker kind of, kind of, kind of energy. Um, but, uh, but I do want to point out, uh, one thing we, I'd be remiss to, um, to leave out is like the right-wing protests are not very serious. Uh, like they're not trained. It wasn't planned. Definitely. They didn't have equipment. And they're in one city at a time. Yeah, the idea that this was like an organized like coup attempt is is totally so, beyond well, belief. Compare them to the Antifa riots we saw over the summer, where they were drilled in tactics. They had equipment. I think that's overblown. I, I mean, I know Antifa. I was in Antifa for a long time, and I think like there's some attempts to kind of do this like performance of of training and preparation, but it's often. I mean, I mean it's it's shabby, man. At least a couple of hours. <laughs> You know, yeah, I mean, definitely some Antifa units are a little bit more prepared and organized and focused, I guess, and strategic well, than and, others. And also, I, it, even if they're not training, which it looked to me like they were training, I mean, they had like the shield wall. I mean, it was, you know, it's a little yeah, yeah. too. <laughs> but um, but also an effective thing if the police are launching projectiles at you or trying to push you back. Um, they they also uh, had um, uh, uh, just so many engagements that people built up. Uh, right practice built up practice in a piece <laughs> yeah. you know that medic was a total larp the first time you went out but the but the 30th time you went out totally like you you knew how to fix up some some wounds that is true um and whereas this uh and this is a, an issue with the uh when right tries to copy the left wing uh tactics it, it doesn't really work because first of all uh the the immune the cultural immune system of america to right wing violence or radicalism is so much stronger than to left-wing violence that like this one event will probably cause more consternation and change uh, against it uh, and like blowback than all the riots that happened this summer put together. You think? Yeah. I mean, just like, why? Uh, because America hates Nazis. <laughs> uh, and so, so there's a way like first, but not many of these people were Nazis. It doesn't matter. They are. <laughs> if, uh, if CNN says they are, if, if, and there are some, like some Nazis, you know, if there's like two or three Nazis in the crowd, like that makes yeah, the media is definitely going for an angle of like this was a, a an attempted coup attempt, right? Like that's the angle that they're kind yeah. of pushing, right? But, but the the left wing protests this summer were a projection of power by the dominant power structure. Like they had so much air the shock cover. troops of HR. Yeah, you, <laughs> yeah, you had so much air cover from the media constantly telling you to ignore all the parts in you that were saying this is not okay to push those to the side. This is justice. Uh, it was bizarre how favorable CNN and associated media or media organizations were towards the riots. Peaceful, but fiery protests, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> flames in the back. No, it's hilarious. It's, 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 uh, it's to comedic degrees. Yeah. And, and it's just not, so they, you know, even in America, even our right is left, right? Cause we have this tradition of uh, revolution. That's how we became who we are. Uh, we have this tradition of protests. We have the myth of the civil rights movement that, uh, at this stage in American history is right and left. It has been adopted by both. And, um, and, uh, and so, so the right feels like it needs to LARP like it's some sort of revolution, but they get, they get one event. <laughs> and if, if they have any success at all, uh, it's pointed out, it's written down in the history books as like a fascist um, high watermark. And then, and then all this, right. And, and then the hammer of God comes down against them. Right. Uh, so it's 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 not symmetrical, and those can't be right wing tactics. I don't think, um, unless the radical right gets a lot bigger, and I think we'd be in a lot of trouble 
if the radical right got a lot bigger than a couple thousand LARPers. Yeah, we'd be in a lot of trouble, definitely. Yeah. Uh, but it seems like the the dominant establishment media almost genuinely wants that to happen. It's as if they're, they 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 produce stories and commentary as if their underlying motive is actually to increase the resentful, upset, and 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 sometimes rightfully so frustrated kind of right wing people who are like looking at the media and they're like, "How are you describing things this way?" Like it, it actually it seems to be f- producing like radical right wing resentment. Yeah, and my my little hypothesis, which I think a lot of people share is that they actually do kind of want that in some way because it just gives them more, uh, of, it gives them something to battle, right? It gives them more significance, right? I think they're begging for it. Yeah. Yeah. Like (laughs) every, I think every left wing child grows up like pining for the civil rights movement and they're just, or world war two, or, and they're just like so sad that they don't have like like a big moral that that the world is problem. It's just like mostly okay. Um, it's like, pretty good (laughs) Uh, right and uh so so i think there's definitely a thirst for a villain and uh and if the villain doesn't exist we need to create them either by like inventing an ideology by which we can see villains more fine-grained like where before we didn't see them or um or or like goading people into becoming villains right uh which is yeah, which is not not the not a game you want to play into. Uh, you you see this with a lot of the the big right wing radical figures that got on that the media loves to put on TV. They love to put them on TV <laughs> because the ones that will sit, go ahead and throw the Hitler salute, like Richard Spencer, like that's what they've always wanted. Right. They actually like Richard Spencer in a sense more than the milk toast, you know, normal average conservative because it gives them real kind of moral energy something something that justifies their existence and their hysteria uh, like they need to believe that there's hundreds of thousands of richard spence right now okay so a question i want to ask you is how do you parse the claim which a lot of people are making today and if i'm if i'm not mistaken this is a kind of now very dominant uh, high prestige position at this moment in time that donald trump holds a lot of responsibility for what happened at the capitol do you buy that? Do you not buy that? How do you interpret that? But before you answer, I'll mm-hmm. give you a chance to think about it. We got a good critical mass in the room. We got a good handful of people hanging out. Folks, subscribe to the channel and click the bell. Many of you don't click the bell, so you don't get notifications when I do these badass live streams. And I'm in Austin, Texas. I have this little studio now. I'm like seriously building this up. I'm going to be doing a lot more of these. So please do subscribe to the channel right now before you forget and click that bell so you get notifications. And uh, yeah, if you have questions or comments, I am looking at the chat. So please do feel free to mention. And if it's a good comment or a good question, I might bring it up in the show. So uh, Jacob, please, I'd love to hear your input on the question I posed. Well, first, I want to um, I want to say that I do think the the solution uh, for right wing people. Uh, let's see. I, I guess I, I'm more conservative than I'm not more conservative than radical, I would say. Uh, but it's. Something more like Rod Dreyer's Benedict Option, like making making healthy communities and families, and trying to ignore all the shit that the left throws at you. Um, I think I think that's a healthy for both sides. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like you know they're gonna poke you in the eye and say you know uh, stop stop hitting yourself, and and you gotta like ignore them. Um, I think that's the the real way to combat this um, is by not fighting, but. Uh, like you don't want to make a Hitler to stop a Stalin. It's just not a, not a, not a great way to go. Um, I mean, I think there's a left wing take on that exact argument. I completely agree. Even from a left wing perspective, like if you want to overthrow capitalism or 
inequality or injustice or or whatever you see as the big problem of the time that you want to fight from a left-wing perspective, the best way you can do it is to essentially disengage from the structures that you find uh, unjust. And I don't mean like go off and live in a commune and like try to drop out of society. I just mean don't allow your attention to be captured by these like idiotic uh, debates and these idiotic kind of opinion pieces, the, these like dominant uh, intellectual cleavages that emerge in like mainstream media. Because if that's what you're anchoring yourself towards, you're inevitably going to be essentially participating in the rotten, unjust like structures that you consider to be unjust. So I think whether you're on the right or the left, disengage from mainstream society, find your line of flight to use the Deleuzian term, whether you think about that in a you know, Catholic Christian sense of like Roger and like building conservative communities, or you think about it as building like militantly liberating communities. Either way, it should be through exit rather than voice in this like rotten uh, mainstream society that we have. It's like, I think it's just go balls to the wall, exit society and build your own thing. And it's never been easier to do that through the internet is my take. Yeah, I think that's right. And, um, and, I, and I think that uh, it's harder to get the energy. Uh, it, it's easier to like, unlock energy by doing something stupid it's like you know lighting something on fire is the quickest way to get the calories out of it but right. it's also like the least useful way well put Pardon. uh and uh unfortunately uh i think we're fighting against human nature in some way but i mean that's what christianity is about is about struggling towards the good even when it's hard or Im impossible even hell yeah it's like you struggle towards the good anyway heck yeah uh mm -hmm. and uh <laughs> and uh sorry um so is Trump responsible for all this or no? Is Trump responsible? Uh, he definitely bears some responsibility. Um, I didn't. I don't get what he was doing with really <laughs> pushing this contesting the election thing. Like, yeah, with no, I didn't see where the goal was. Yeah, um, and I don't think there was a goal. Uh, and I think that describes like all of uh, all of Trump's presidency, really. Uh, people were like, he's planning a coup. I'm like, no, he's not planning anything. He's just saying what unleashes the most energy like moment by moment uh and so to say it's the rigged election uh that's what he's doing and and it's uh this weird thing where like i'm pretty anti-left um in a way uh and um and i'll have a lot of resentment against the left anyway and so i'm like oh trump he's fighting the left uh so he's my guy but then it's like he's just lighting everything on fire like metaphorically yeah it then became real and I'm like, you know, I, I can't, this, this isn't good. Yeah. Like he's creating a, a bigger backlash. Uh, like, like sure. He might win a victory here or there by getting people really riled up, but like what's going to come after. Right. Uh, like, no, I think the forces of like left-wing reaction are stronger than ever yeah, now. Super powerful. <laughs> like he fed right into it. Dude, and, but this actually connects to the Bitcoin stuff because frankly, I, what I think is going to happen and I'm not giving financial advice, but what I think is going to happen, I think is I think Biden and Kamala Harris are going to be like super left wing reactionary fascists. And it's going to make Bitcoin go even higher because <laughs> mm -hmm. they're going to like they're going to pump the money supply even harder. They're going to print more dollars. And I think uh, Bitcoin is just going to keep keep going up. And there's going to be this eventually there's going to be this weird kind of conflict where as all the Bitcoin and crypto people become richer and richer and, and like the crumbling establishment political structures based on the U S dollar become weaker and weaker. Uh, I think it's going to get really crazy. And then to be more specific, I think if there's one place you want to be when this shit kicks off, it's fucking Texas. And this is one of the reasons why this is, no, I'm not even right. kidding. This is one of the reasons that went into my calculation for moving to Austin. Basically a ton of people here have guns. There's a lot of respect for gun culture. A lot of people here have crypto and, um, 
it's probably of all the states, the best state that is in the best position to secede because it's actually in the state constitution that they have a right to secede. And uh, so basically, I think that if shit really hits the fan in the U.S. and conflict continues to escalate, I think Texas is probably the best place to be, uh, not to mention they're like energy independent and like the fifth largest economy in the world. So I'm I'm like really putting I'm gambling on Texas. I, I believe Texas is number six. I think California is number oh, five. Oh, OK. If I had to be in one or the other, <laughs> um, I mean, California is way prettier, uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, Texas is way more functional. Um, and uh, yeah, I think um, I think that's right, Justin. And there's something we saw last about a year ago where people have this huge normalcy bias um, where they think that what will happen in the future will be like what happened in the past. And then uh, like we saw people what appeared to be videos of people people being welded inside their apartments in in China mm-hmm. um, whole cities quarantined and locked down uh, by the by the police with military drones like chasing people if they stepped outside their house to tell them to go back inside and you know January February we were just acting like I mean I, I think uh, you know we, we were writing uh, newspaper articles mocking the people who were concerned right like uh, in Silicon Valley wired, um, I forgot who was the author there, but she deserves everlasting fame for her, uh, you know, tech bros are refusing the handshake, uh, article. Um, and people were just like, you know, normal is going to be normal. And then it wasn't. And now, now normal is something completely different. And I think that the fact that Texas does have the right to secede in this constitution, is something that you might think will never be used, um, but it's there for a reason. Yeah. I think uh, whoever negotiated for that line in the agreement is a genius. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, it's there. It's there for a reason. And, you know, it would be unprecedented. But I um, I listened to a lot of financial news <laughs> this year and I heard the word unprecedented like, you know, like 500 times by April of last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, sure, it's unprecedented. Does that mean it can't happen? Bitcoin going to 40,000 is unprecedented. I think what a lot of people underappreciate is the political implications of crypto rising as it appears to continue to rise. And if you're like me, you believe Bitcoin is going to keep rising for quite some time and will be pretty stable at significantly higher prices. I mean, I think there's a decent probability. I wouldn't like bet the farm on this, but I think there's a a non-trivial probability that Bitcoin does actually become the global reserve currency. And it's just like uh, the entire face of global finance is just like absolutely revolutionized Uh, again who knows uh but i think there's a non-trivial probability that that happens what a lot of people don't think a lot about if you if you like watch videos on a bitcoin and you follow like the bitcoin community what a lot of people don't talk about is the political implications because the types of people who hold bitcoin are very different types of people than the types of people who like run you know the u.s government and so as bitcoin keeps rising it, it it shifts political power to a certain type of person away from another type of person. And I think once like once that becomes known in public consciousness, like once your average like journalist at like the New York Times uh, really fully kind of appreciates how true this is and, and what that involves and what that means. And when like our kind of uh, I'm just you laughing because they'll be the last people that and when I know exactly they'll be no, but they'll be the last. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah. They'll be the last. But when they do really realize what this means politically and same thing for U.S. Congress people, which are, you know, people who are like super old and many of them have like early stage Alzheimer's and stuff like that. Um, when when like that class realizes, oh, wait, you mean all of these like weirdos, 
and reactionaries and people trying to like exit the system and like crazy outsider underground creators and founders all of these people are actually their their economic and material power in the world is increasing substantially over time and the power of the US dollar is decreasing substantially over time once they realize that there's going to be a there's going to be some attempt to seriously clamp down on crypto i don't think it's going to work i think the game theory maps out in a way where bit, i believe personally that bitcoin will be untouchable that's how i'm i wager the, the the game theory of that conflict will 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 map out and we could talk about that if people are interested in that but um but i think the political hysteria is what i'm getting at the political hysteria is going to be exacerbated by bitcoin in other words mm. but because Bitcoin is going to exacerbate the kind of liberal establishment political hysteria, in turn, that's going to accelerate Bitcoin. So there's going to be this kind of like acceler. There's going to be this is really what I would buckle up for, like over the next ten years. Like this is really how I'm seeing things. Yeah. You know, well, what I think will happen um, politically is very much what we saw as the with the rise of Silicon Valley, where uh, the center of power in America was more East Coast. Uh, it was more New York, Washington. Um, especially and then you know maybe maybe a little bit of la and boston uh like those, those were the places where, where serious people lived um and then you know sui generis uh big bang fresh universe pops up in silicon valley and 40 years it goes from nothing to everything right uh, and who's the most powerful man in the world today well it's not Dar donald trump because he can't tweet <laughs> yeah. right it's yeah. uh it's it's jack dorsey or or mark zuckerberg um and I think Musk just became the richest. Elon Musk right? is now the richest man in the world. Another that's, another that's news insane. event. Um, but the uh, yeah, so so the political establishment has had to make peace with Silicon Valley and share power with them, welcome them into the fold. They didn't want to, but money talks. Um, and and I think in the same way, like you know, crypto is a little bit more decentralized, a lot more decentralized than Silicon Valley was, um, but. Again, it's it's a sui generis new universe, like Big Bang, universe, universal inflation event of uh, zero to one, something right. being birthed into the world, and uh, and it's growing quite large. Uh, and and this this bull run, um, you know, powered by the the crisis and the federal government, um, you know, taking again unprecedented uh, monetary and fiscal action to support the economy, uh, has created. Um, you know, the best advertising Bitcoin could hope for. Uh, and um, like, okay, I mean, people, I don't mm -hmm. think people get that. We were we were basically running a communist society <laughs> for like a couple of months. And I mean that seriously, we had socialized the, um, we had socialized the, uh, the wages of most of Americans business, most of American businesses uh, for several months in, in the spring and summer last year, we were paying for the wages of most people in America off the government balance sheet. Uh, it, it was insane. Yeah. 2.4 trillion. Um, yeah. People, I, I think don't appreciate this, that I think, I believe 30% of all of the U S dollars in circulation right now were printed in the past year. Yes. 30%. <laughs> and if you add up all the fiscal stimulus and support measures, it comes out to, I believe right now we're at 3.3 trillion, and uh, and the Democrats want to add on another 900 billion, make it 4.2. That's like 20% of GDP, man. Just out of nothing. Um, so uh, yeah, where's all that? You know, the, the thing, the reason why Bitcoin's going up is because there's not not very many Bitcoin in the world, and there is a lot of U.S. dollars. Yeah, and there's more U.S. dollars every day. Yeah, um, exactly.
to me, this is like an air. This is a pretty airtight argument. I mean, I, I just think this is happening. You, it's already happening. It's not speculative. And I just don't see it not continuing to happen. And that's why that's why I'm super bullish. It's not like speculative to me. It's it's basically like, do you think this is happening? <laughs> it appears to be happening. Uh, do you see any reason why it's going to stop happening? I don't. Well, Bitcoin is the ultimate escape. Exit. It, it's pure exit. Well, it's 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 a be it's a an entity from beyond ourselves. Um, Say more. I will. So so. <laughs> Money um, in the modern world is postmodern money. Uh, it is money that is defined by people, it's defined by ideology, it's defined by politics, it's defined by faith and belief. And, um, and make, making your currency works get it, it involves getting everyone to believe in it. Or, or in the case of the United States, you know, we do what we do best. We export uh, our ideology to the world. We market to the world. We're the world's finest marketers. Uh, you know, you watch Disney movies no matter where you are in the world. And you use U.S. dollars no matter where you are in the world. But the thing is, it's um, it's entirely it's not built on anything except for uh, it's it's interior to culture. It's it's um, it's not objective. Uh, you know, when we had the gold standard, it was somewhat objective. We had a fractional reserve base on top of that. But um, like gold is this thing that's uh, that's made in. Uh, I believe when neutron stars collide with each other. Um, it's very, you can't make more of it. We don't know how to make more of it. You know, it would take a lot of energy and it's not something we don't currently know how to do. Um, and, uh, so, so that, that, that is like this tether to the physical world where it's fiat money, you know, we're, we're lost in the world of politics, it's political money. Fiat money is political money, but Bitcoin, um, is objective. And, and it's, and, and this is uh, an argument for proof of stake or proof of work currencies like Bitcoin over proof of stake ones, because it is objectively hard to create a valid blockchain of any of a particular length. Like to recreate Bitcoin, you'd have to spend as much computational power as, as has been spent over the, the entire history of Bitcoin's lifetime. And that's additive. That just over time, that creates a harder and harder seal. So it becomes harder and harder to, uh, to copy or to forge a chain. Um, Whereas with proof of stake coins, you have to rely on social consensus to know which uh, chain is the correct one, uh, because it's not hard to forge a chain. Um, so, so like Bitcoin has been—it's sort of a sacrifice, right? Like it's been built; the chain has been built by the sacrifice of energy over time, and uh, and, and 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 that's that. So, uh, so it becomes like a new gold in a way. It's like a, a new collision of, of neutron stars it's something that um when you receive a bitcoin you can tell it's a bitcoin you can verify the chain uh in an objective way and it's an escape from po politics it's digital gold but better in in at least a few specific ways right it's easier to verify you can have fake gold and that takes that's costly to determine whether or not gold is real gold or fake gold with blockchain it's trivial what it's provably and technically scarce whereas gold is only it's pretty scarce, but we're always finding new ver new forms of gold, right? So tomorrow there could be a huge, you know, finding of gold that would uh, well, expand the supply. Right? At the limit, there's asteroids, and at the limit, there's asteroids, yeah. right? So technically, we can't really be sure what the what the ultimate supply of gold is, whereas we know for sure uh, how many bitcoins there will ever be in the world. And uh, so, yeah, it basically does everything that gold does, and that that seems to be why at this stage. A lot of people are flocking to it, especially like wealthier people, more institutional investors are seeing it as a, as an inflation hedge. In other words, what gold does, but better. And uh, 
not to mention, you don't have to actually lug around big, heavy objects, right? So uh, just in many ways, it's it's a superior form of gold, but has all of the benefits than some. And uh, do you something I wanted to ask you about, though, because you, you mentioned something that made me think of it is, I'm sure you reflect on the interesting and kind of strange, uh, at least thematic commonalities between the blockchain and Christianity, right? I'm mm-hmm. sure you've given this thought. I would love to hear, like, what do you make of that? Uh, that's a good question. Well, I think... If people don't know what I'm talking about, you mentioned like sacrifice, for instance, it's like built on sacrifice. Sacrifice is very important in Christianity. Uh, we could probably riff on a few more, but I'm just curious what you think. Yeah. Well, I think there, there's a lot of um, parallels. Uh, people say Bitcoin is a new religion. And and I do think uh, it has a certain faith and fervor to it that you would need to drive this kind of ambitious project to its completion. Um, but it's uh, like the idea of there being something beyond something transcendent um like there something objective something other than you know this world that we have made for ourselves like the ability to escape ourselves uh like that is in, in traditional christianity christian theology like there is, everything is creation except for one thing which is god um this is maybe getting a little too uh, i don't want to get too uh heretical here but there is this this hunger for something that that is beyond ourselves. Um, and, and I think that, that that objectivity that Bitcoin offers uh, gives you something of that, like something solid that you can actually base your, your reality on. Um, and for, for it to be solid, it has to be beyond manipulation. And, um, mm. and because otherwise, uh, we can't tell if anything is real. This is Descartes' argument for the existence of God. Uh, he, he's like, you know, if there wasn't a God, we'd just all be insane. Like there needs to be one thing that is not vulnerable to manipulation by humans Yes, or else everything could be manipulation by humans. And then you, you endless cycling. Now, now in the limit, Bitcoin is not impervious, uh, you know, maybe, um, with enough energy, uh, you know, you know, it, it is not in, invincible. It's just the closest, it's just the closest thing. So maybe it's a tool of the objective rather than objectivity itself right there's this idea of like a 51 percent attack right if you have 51 percent of the hashing power you could uh theoretically like Over a long counterfeit period the, of time yes do you think there's any do you take that seriously like could that happen do you think like, uh, could china like actually orchestrate that or how do you see that i mean uh a nation state at this phase uh with pouring um something like uh like right now it probably cost them something on the order if they wanted to do it quickly something in the t- tens to hundreds of billions of dollars um to to create a forged blockchain uh but you know over time that recedes uh like over time it gets more and more expensive more and more expensive over time um and and right now i don't know if they have the will to do that and if they do i don't know if they really get out of it besides poisoning the well for for bitcoin um and uh and we can switch to a different hashing algorithm we can try to outrun them and and fight them until we get a chain that is uh, secure against them um but uh other things that are interesting parallels between Bitcoin and Christianity, I would say, is, is that there the history of schism and forks is right. there. Like we have religious wars and disagreements. <laughs> um, so uh, we had, uh, you know, the schisms of basically change happens through schism. Um, mm. No, through consensus or a schism, if consensus cannot be reached. Right. Which is very much the the practice that happened in Christianity uh, in the development of Christianity um, in the in the traditional church before way before modern times we had the seven ecumenical councils that sort of defined the building blocks of Christianity. And in the West, we sort of round off and say the church was one and accepted the seven ecumenical councils till 1054 AD. However, 
that is not true uh, because there were some smaller sects that did break off and are still around um, in sort of the Middle East, further Eastern parts of the Middle East, uh, like Syria and going out to uh, sort of uh, kind of all the stuff in that area that you don't remember the name to. Um, but they, they were small, so we kind of like rubbed them out of history. But in, in the Fourth Ecumenical Council, there was a group of people that did not agree with a formula that was accepted to describe uh, Jesus Christ's uh, dual natures of fully, being fully divine and fully human. Um, and so they uh, they rejected the council. Well, you know, a council is like a software patch and you have to have, you have to be running the latest software patch. You have to be running the latest protocol to communicate in the network. So they're out of the network. And so, so they forked. Um, and, and that's very much like the, the BCH and BSV forks off, off of Bitcoin. Um, and I will say, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the Bitcoin main chain reminds me a lot of orthodoxy and, and that it is uh, a Christian orthodoxy and that it's inherited. It's very conservative. Um, like for any protocol change, they have made the decision to only update through soft forks, except for in the case of, um, of like breaking security bugs. So, um, uh, so that means that each update to the Bitcoin protocol must be backwards compatible with all previous transactions. Uh, a soft fork narrows the range of appropriate transactions going forward. Um, and, and that's what, how theology developed in, in the Orthodox and Catholic Church to, to an extent. Um, back in the day is uh, everyone believes something and then... Uh, you come you, you, as you progress into the future, people would come up with alternative elaborations that were backwards compatible with all the previous beliefs, but that were in conflict with each other. And so then you have a council and you have to choose one of these two incompatible, but backwards compatible beliefs. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so you, that's how, that's how the Christian doctrine was developed, always backwards compatible. Um, and, uh, and then, um, it, it, but it was also this kind of consensus thing where you know, be, contra, contra the Romans, uh, there wasn't really one guy in charge like Vitalik. Uh, it was sort of this thing where you, you, you kind of had to make get this consensus of all the bishops that were important. And some of them had bigger mouths than others and had a bigger say than others just through the force of their personality. Uh -huh. And it's very much like that in Bitcoin. It's so fascinating. I, I could listen to you talk about this all night. I love this stuff. Okay. Uh, if you're interested in this, go subscribe to Jacob's channel. He talks about this kind of stuff. He's a much better and more educated Christian than I am. I put his link to his uh, YouTube channel in the show notes. So go subscribe. Because uh, that's fire. Like, I'm, this is fire, dude. I'm this a really is... bad Christian, but I know a little bit. But this is, this is fire. I could talk to you all night about this. So in your model then, so basically like Jesus uh, is analogous to Satoshi. Uh, you think, right. you think the Orthodox church is uh, equivalent to the, to the Bitcoin main BTC. chain BTC. So what is the Roman Catholic church then in your model? Uh, you know, um, it doesn't quite fit because <laughs> uh, it's not a schism from Bitcoin, but I think uh, Vitalik and Ether is much more Roman Catholic. Right. Uh, I could see that because there, there is like a, a, a figurehead that has, um, uh, well, he's not just a figure. He has a lot of influence and authority. Yeah. And if he's really passionate about a change, it will happen. Uh, you know, ex cathedra, Vitalik will speak. Um, and the, uh, and, and also, uh, this might anger some of our Roman Catholic viewers, but they're, they're a little bit more radical in how they update things. It's not always backwards compatible. Um, Interesting. So, uh, for example, uh, right. the, the Roman Catholic Church uh, dogmatized the um, belief in the, the the assumption of the Virgin Mary. Um, so, and now a lot of Catholics previously had believed that, like 
past Catholics, uh, which is that Mary was bodily assumed, I believe, before her death, um, like just lifted up into heaven, like she disappeared. Went up to heaven. Um, and uh, but some Catholics in the past did not believe that, and so now this is a breaking protocol upgrade. <laughs> you know, you have invalidated past believers, uh, past transactions, uh, and, and that's something you know in Orthodoxy we don't do. Interesting. Uh, and, yeah. and so, so we 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 don't have a uh, we don't have actually a dogma on that particular topic. Yeah, that's fascinating. I totally see what you're saying. I was also going to add to that that, but uh, Ethereum does that, right? right? And like, also, also Ethereum is much better than Bitcoin in the in its ability to basically invite other people to develop things on the blockchain in interesting and kind of creative, arguably regional ways, which is what you see with the Catholic Church. I think more so than the Orthodox Church, probably. Or not to say there's no, re but basically the Catholic Church has uh, probably excelled a bit more than the Orthodox Church in basically. Uh, making a globally spreadable, uh, but nonetheless unified uh, kind of institution, right? There's like the, like the Latin American Catholic churches have a very different vibe and style and tendencies than the European ones. Uh, so I wonder if there's a connection there. That there yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so. And just like the Bitcoin core people, like Orthodox people can be a little ornery. Uh, and like, we, I think we have higher barriers. Like we, we're more purist, purist. Um, whereas like we look at like some of the Roman Catholic practices that they've used to like spread their church to other parts of the world. And we're like, that smells like, um, possibly errorful code to us. Like we're not willing to be that flexible. Right. Whereas Ethereum has tried to create a kind of, uh, globally developable blockchain that allows like different developers to do different types of things, but to plug in and be interoperable on the same like interface which yeah. is arguably like what the catholic church has has done relatively well yeah i think i think uh you know the catholic church certainly has been more flexible in evangelizing right. the world and right. also more successful at it um the uh something else popped into my head on this topic this awful topic that's going to get me is it awful so why uh, is so why is this so like, what, what would your what would your like uh orthodox colleagues like say uh, just like you know my, my priest told me i was allowed to make podcast I, I should make podcasts and it was good for me to make podcasts but this one's just a little bit silly uh, uh and i worry that it's like a little bit too taking the the faith uh kind of um that, 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 that like borderline is it's like borderline mocking in a way because it's kind of humorous but uh well let's reflect on this because I, I i'm i'm concerned about that also i mean i i, I i'm I, I want to be a good christian and a better christian so like what do you see as the um like like what but to finish my analogy oh please sorry so. Uh, all the altcoins out there are Protestantism. You know, everyone, uh, okay. any, anyone has their own vision and they're like, here's a new coin. Uh, and that's, uh, that's definitely Protestant, but yeah. Nice. Back. No, that, that, that makes, that, that's a perfect, uh, like finishing touch on, yeah. on that whole narrative. Sorry. I totally see it. That's my architecture. I guess I'm just like, I, I mean, I, I'm just curious, like what is so bad about, like, we're just trying to make sense out of things and we're having some laughs also, but like yeah. we're making good sense and we're not saying anything bad or false. Like, yeah. like we're right. I mean, so I, I always, this is where I get hung up with Christianity. Cause I'm like there, th in my view, there, there's nothing conceivably like non-Christian or sinful about this conversation. Yeah. But I, I also get people online who are like, who will call me heretical or call me like, uh, you know, call me names. Uh, but I honestly don't see it. So I would, I would like to, if, if, yeah, I think it's real, I think there's always, um, I think there's a way in which when we, uh, when we push boundaries, um, and you know, me and you are way out here on the edge, uh, <laughs> that it ruffles some feathers with the, the more traditional people uh, who who think that the solution to the world being broken is for 
um, everyone to become like them and just stop being weird, you know? Uh, and there's a way that I, I, I think that there's a certain amount of the world that's irredeemably weird and they weren't served by the traditional way of doing things. And I'd rather communicate across those boundaries, uh, even if that involves me being weird. And, um, and I think there's, there's a danger in, in that in which I, you know, make my more conservative brethren angry. Uh, and I don't want to make them angry. I love them. Um, but, uh, but also like, otherwise we like, are we going to give up? Like I, I've been to Burning Man six times and, you know, uh, and a lot of, a lot of Christians would not go to Burning Man and, uh, uh, degeneracy. Yeah. And I even went once after I was Christian. Um, and, um, so I, I guess there's a way in which I'm like, well, are you going to leave all those people at Burning Man to, uh, like, you know, they're, they're out there looking for love and connection and truth and discovery. And like, you purport to offer these things, like, like put a, put an Orthodox cathedral out there in the middle of the desert and chant Vespers and have people high, high yeah. off their mind, like come in and like, you know, feel, uh, the, just the, the, the grandeur and the beauty and the peace of, of God. Um, rather than saying they need to come to us. See, I have no such compunctions because it's probably in part because I'm not socially connected to like legit Christians like you are, Jacob. Uh, so I don't feel much anxiety about these types of things. I mean, I have strong uh, compunctions about like sin in my everyday life. I, I'm, I'm actually pretty anxious about uh, doing bad things in general. But when it comes to like thinking honestly and freely and creatively about like what Christianity means and making sense out of it in honest ways that actually resonate with me that are uh, fill me with life and fill me with joy and fill me with clarity uh, and really, really make sense to me in an exciting way. To me, that is just absolutely the work of the, the Lord's work and, and no, no ifs, ands or buts about it. Yeah. So I never feel these compunctions uh, personally, because my, my, my view on it is kind of like, I don't know, that's, I, I'm kind of like a Christian vitalist mm. in, in a way. I mean, all Christians are vitalists in some sense, but I think like I've never really felt guilty about thinking like kind of weird interpretations. So long as my my purpose is good and my intention is good and 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 it's honest and true to the best of my ability. What more can we offer as as thinkers and as as seekers? Yeah, um, yeah. I think uh, you know when I became a Christian, I wanted to be a real Christian. That's why I said to myself, I was like, I'm going to be a real one um, because, you know, I was very used to being syncretic and like mix and like remixing different religions uh, and even some Christianity into my life in a way that like was artistic and I enjoyed. Um, and I'm like, you know, I'm actually going to I want what is uh, if there's something real here and I think there's something real here, I want it. I want the realness and to be to have the realness, I might need to like be somewhat more under discipline than, than I like to be than, than I'm used to being. Um, and so, so I, I've been trying to, even though like if I violated all the moral tenets of the Orthodox church, like they're very forgiving, you know, they would, they wouldn't let me be a clergy, but they would say, they would say, uh, yeah, try to be better. Come back. Mm. Keep, but you keep don't going. have confession, right? Oh, we do. Oh, you do. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, in confession, I would, you know, as long as I wanted to be there, like I think my priest would work with me, even if I violated every 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 rule. Yeah. Um. And it's not like I grew up Jehovah's Witness, and it's not like that. Uh, I might still have some of that guilt complex from growing up Jehovah's Witness, which is like a harsh, cultish kind of, mm. um, uh, like laying down the law kind of thing. Um, 
and uh, in orthodoxy, we kind of think that, you know, rules are there for your benefit. Like they're supposed to teach you something like it's good to master the appetites. It's good to master the passions. It's good to, uh, um, and, and I know that, uh, you know, one of the things that the church fathers speak about is, uh, is idle talk being bad and like, what's, what are, what a podcast, but idle talk. Uh, uh and, uh, but maybe I feel like I need to connect with the world. I, I have that compulsion. And, uh, and until, until I've achieved that, I don't think my heart will be at peace. And maybe that's like my, that's my little vice. But to me, it's seeking the truth. And to me, there's no greater Christian imperative. Am I seeking the truth or am I showing off with my big brain and my big beard? Well, I think about it as seeking the truth. Absolutely. And then as in all things, there are temptations along the way. That's how I think about it. So to me, like the straight and narrow path is seeking the truth. And then of course, right. You look at the con the camera, you're self-conscious. You want to look handsome. You want people to like you. And th those are all the kind of fallen uh, sinful temptations that we're all, you know, subject to or vulnerable to. But the, the essential goal of something like writing a blog or writing a book or, you know, tweeting or doing a podcast to me, I, I swear when I say this at, at the core of all of it is a very single-minded uh, obsessive mission to just try to figure out what is true and to communicate it in the most radically incisive way uh, to the widest audience as possible. To me, to me, that is arguably the the Christian imperative when it comes to kind of culture and 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 operating in in public life. And uh, to me, that's really what it's all about. And so there are definitely temptations and ways to fall off that straight and narrow. But uh, as long as we're laser focused on not succumbing to those temptations. I feel like figuring out the commonalities between Bitcoin and Christianity is like uh, a question of the highest order. And it's like truly the Lord's work to try to figure that out uh, to, to whatever degree of detail is warranted. Uh, the shirt is a Jonathan Peugeot special. Uh, oh, nice. Someone so was, what is it? Wondering. It's from Jonathan Peugeot, the symbolic world. Oh, it's like merch? Uh, yeah, it's nice. merch. Uh, he, uh, he does, he's an icon carver, an orthodox icon carver who makes Oh, he is. He's YouTube like a YouTuber, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know of, I know of him on uh, YouTube. I think we might have messaged before. I didn't know he does art though. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, so this is one of, one of his. Sorry. What did you say he does? He does wood? Uh, he does icon carving. Icon carving, like in wood? Yes. Oh, wow. Um, and he sells merch that's like he des does. designer kind of like iconography on t-shirts. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it's he, pretty fire. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a little loud, uh, but I, I was in the mood today. Uh, so I like it. Shout out to Jonathan Pajot. Pajot, is that how you say? Yeah, Pajot. It's a. It's He's a, a YouTuber. Name. Go uh, follow him and leave a comment and say Justin Murphy sent you. And, yeah, and if Jacob. you if you um if you go to his channel, check out the videos on parasitic storytelling or on uh, Pentecost for the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> nice, um, nice. Well, dude, we've had a very attentive audience the whole time. Pretty, pretty good numbers. Pretty, you know, slightly above average well, for, for my channel. I, I, I wanted to speak. I didn't want to switch topics just yet. I'm no, sorry. please. Well, I, I got, I got time. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, I, so I, I um, have a problem in which I see uh, conflicting goods a lot of times where I'm like, that thing is good. And that thing is good. Like I, I really appreciate very Dionysian um, sort of uh, uninhibited people. And then I really appreciate, you know, very orthodox, like people who have not colored outside the lines and have lived right. a straight and narrow path. Um, like, I, and, um, you know, there's a, there's a way in which, uh, I'm trying, I always try to be the bridge between worlds. I can't be bridged. And this is part of the orthodox phronema or mindset, uh, which is to let things be in tension without resolving them. Um, and I, I think, you know, I, I see, 
there, there's a there's a certain like Christian culture in America, which is um, which is way too uh, I think straight laced for me. Uh, it's just not who I am. Um, it was never interesting to me. And I actually think uh, I have a theory, which I think maybe it's called like bio Christianity or something, where I think people with high openness uh, have mostly left the church um, as moder modernity has progressed, where they used to be those people in the church because mm -hmm. everyone was in the church. Mm -hmm. But I think high openness people have mostly left. Uh, and so what, what's remained is a very low openness culture. Um, and then on the other hand, like I, I see the value in being, in being open to ideas and there's lots of other people that are, and I want to be able to communicate both with the high openness people who are going to Burning Man or doing, I'm just using that as a totem for doing new things. Like I think even Burning Man now is considered like not the coolest new thing, but, uh, I'll do the coolest new thing. Don't worry. I'll be at the cool thing. Uh, uh, and I also, but I don't want to leave behind like my lower openness, more conservative brethren. Like I, those are the keepers of the flame, man. Like, you know, I wouldn't have uh, a tradition to be part of if they didn't keep it. Yeah, totally. And, um, and, and I don't want to like say, I don't want to be a liberal Christian and I don't want to be a conservative Christian. Uh, I want to um, bridge the worlds and um, be... Uh, I'll be perfect like Christ is perfect, maybe, or be the best version of myself. Like, that's what I'm after. Um, right on. Here's a question from okay. J School account uh, Do you do drugs, more specifically DMT, LSD, shrooms, and other meme drugs? Me? Uh, yeah, 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 and yeah. Uh, I've never done DMT, though, but I would. I'm kind of scared of it, frankly. Uh, allegedly, um, you can order a DMT online and put it in a um, e pen that will allegedly that you can allegedly smoke like like a vape pen but that will allegedly send you into another reality for 10 minutes at a time that will allegedly feel like very different periods of time from a subjective point of consciousness yeah it doesn't sound terribly good to me it sounds like wild and kind of interesting but i don't know yeah if you like um roller coasters but for your entire for everything that exists then dmt is for you like uh I don't know. You ever like that, like drop zone ride at the uh, at the amusement park, but for your soul and your entire sense of being. Ooh, yes. Yeah, see, I didn't like that ride that much. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's what it is. Uh, if you play your favorite music during it, it's like sort of allegedly um, delightful. I think we should wrap this up because I'm past my prime. I'm past my peak. I can feel my cognitive powers declining, and I'd like to give people only the finest version of myself. I felt like I had one other topic I really wanted to get to. Oh, if you wanted to, by all means. Was there something we planned that we didn't get to? Because we could still definitely hit it. In the meantime, folks, subscribe to my channel and click the bell. A lot of you don't click the bell, uh, so you don't get notifications when I go live. But I'm going to have a lot of badass people come through this room in the next few months, so you're not going to want to miss it. Also, check out Jacob's channel. It's in the show notes, so go subscribe and leave a comment on there and say you came from here. They'll be delighted to see it. Day trading. Oh, that's right. We did want to talk about that. Fuck yeah, let's do it. I, I got trading. plenty of energy and this is going to be good. So uh, you were early on Bitcoin. You made a lot of money on that. So that's one reason why I respect your financial prowess. Oh, and God. now you've gotten into day trading and you're actually doing it full time. And so I would love to hear about that because my understanding, I'll give you kind of my background coming into this that I would love to be disabused of. I have always been under the, under the impression that you can't really win in the long run day trading. I guess I'm kind of an efficient markets kind of guy. My understanding is that, you know, basically, if you have some kind of secret insight about how to make money in the short term, 
shouldn't there be other actors in the market who have more resources than you, more time, more energy, more com- compute power? They're closer to Wall Street and they have supercomputers like on, on you know, right on Wall Street. Shouldn't those people, if, if you have some kind of edge, shouldn't someone else have that edge who has more power and therefore, uh, you know, beat you to your gains? Like, how do you see that? And why is like, how, just how do you see it? I mean, you know, all the big Wall Street firms have trading desks. What do you think they're doing? But shouldn't they be absorbing all the all the gains? Uh, I mean, um, I mean that's a common perception, and uh, certainly is the one I had a year ago. Because um, it's a zero sum game, obviously, for people like who who maybe are naive to all of this. You know, um, it's a zero sum game, right? You have to have some edge that other people don't have to make a profit. Yeah, and um, I mean, I, I just think that it's possible to get those edges. Um, well, I, I want to tell the story of how I got into yeah, day totally. trading, and maybe that will. Uh, Maybe that'll that'll answer some questions because uh, I mean I don't even know that I'm good at it yet. Um, I've had a, a really fantastic three months, um, but my first six months of trying it, I ended up slightly down after I was up like over 150 grand and lost it all plus a little. Uh, and and then in, over the last three months, I changed how I was doing things, and I've been consistently making money, um, but not as fast. Uh, and so I don't know if I'm actually successful yet. Um, you know, maybe another three or four months. <laughs> Sounds stressful. <laughs> it's pretty stressful, but the, the, uh, I mean, the returns these last 90 days have just been, um, you know, they've been very good. Um, so, uh, and, and I think the next six months, you know, the economic outlook is looking pretty good to, to make money in the markets. Um, but, uh, I, how I got into it. Yeah. I, I very rarely owned a stock in my life. Like, <laughs> Uh, I, I had a hundred percent of my net worth in crypto in 2016 and 2017. Uh, I ran out of money, so I got a job because I didn't want to spend my crypto. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I literally had a hundred percent of my net worth in Bitcoin and Ethereum. And when the when the bubble started taking off in 2017, uh, I, and I had a job, so I started earning like a little bit of cash. But I wrote it all the way up and all the way down. I was a retard. <laughs> um, but uh, so, so so just putting that into perspective, I was extremely financially like not very sophisticated and then uh this isn't really my story this is a story of someone you got to get on the podcast someone someone says day trading is the devil (laughs) it is it's it's it's, it's really bad for you i don't sleep very well i'm fat um but i'm making good money and who's the person that you i think i should have on the podcast uh danielle fong is she in austin uh i think she's still i think she's up in canada right now i think i've encountered her on twitter i forget why or so what what are you thinking of okay Okay, so I got to tell this story. Okay, yeah. Um, and this might have some small inaccuracies, but this is how I got into day trading. Um, this is what lured me in. This is what made me that 150 grand in like four weeks that I then proceeded to lose um, over another six. Uh, so Daniel Fong, uh, she was the CEO of an of a, of a alternative energy startup, uh, green energy startup that was doing uh, grid storage for, for electricity. Uh, in a novel way, but it was in this 2012 kind of era where it was like way too early. Like everyone was investing in green tech. Everyone was going bust. Um, and she went, I think she went bust. Um, like nowadays, if she did her company, like green energy companies are just blowing up. Uh, but I think she was a little too early. Um, but what you have to know about Daniel Fong is uh, she is probably a zero on the agreeableness scale and probably a 99th percentile on the openness Sounds like my kind of person. Uh, yeah, Matt, uh, low, low, low agreeable, high openness, master race okay. uh, when it comes to startups. Okay. Um, and yeah, just like me too. Like that's literally what I scored when I took Jordan Peterson's big five test. Some people say big five is bullshit, but uh, when I did take the test, I got zero uh, agreeableness and 99th percent 
uh, openness. Um, I feel like you're not that disagreeable. You're fairly polite. I'm pretty disagreeable. Interesting. Maybe you just uh, like me, so I've never seen your disagreeable yeah. side. But the uh, so 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 the thing is, she was also very. She's a big Elon Musk stan. She has a big science background, and she was very early on COVID. Okay. She looked over and saw what was happening in China, and she uh, she was very concerned. She about the same time Balaji was, like back in like mm-hmm. January. Um, so she organized uh, this Facebook group called Viral Explorations. Um, that uh, was really hot early on with like all these Silicon Valley people and scientists and biotech people like analyzing like what we knew about the virus, what we knew of what was going on, tracking the progress before anyone in the mainstream media cared at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she, she figured out that this was going to be really bad. So she flew home to Canada and she had no money. So she sold her parents' Chinese restaurant for like a hundred grand. Well, uh, cause she's like, they're going to shut all, down all the restaurants. Where was the restaurant? Somewhere in Canada. So she sold it because Oh, because she knew restaurants would go yeah, under. <laughs> they're like, they're like, they're, they're going to shut down a restaurant. Wow. We're going to go out of business. So she sold it. This is way before uh, anything wow. was locked down. So are you friends with her? Uh, I knew her from like Burning Man and stuff. Uh, okay. I like I've met her here and there. Okay, I don't know her super well. Um, hope she doesn't mind me telling the story. Um, I think she's, uh, uh, you know, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty special. And uh, well, you know, the story is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, uh, so she sells the restaurant. And she buys uh, a huge quantity of uh, June 21, 2020, spy, uh, 200 strike spy puts. Uh-huh. Uh, and these things cost about 25 bucks each. <clears throat> he, she buys like uh, 25 grand of them. So for people who don't understand, when you buy a put option, it means basically you're betting on something going down. And then when it goes down, you sell the put option and you make money in a nutshell. Yeah. And spy is the uh, is basically an index tracking uh, ETF uh, that tracks the S&P 500, which is the biggest index. So she's betting on the stock market just crashing to crashing to hell. And she puts 25 grand on it. Um, but this was in February. And uh, so eight weeks later, she had $10 million. No shit. Yeah. Dude, badass. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's so, awesome. <laughs> uh, uh, but, um, but like, wait, many, how much did she spend on 25 grand? She turned 25 grand into $10, $10 million. million. Damn, uh, and the the numbers might not be exactly right, but get them get them something from like her. that. Wow, but it was something in that magnitude. I'm definitely like gonna 40, have it on the podcast like, if she will. It was like forty x in six weeks. It's one of the most autistic and brilliant <laughs> trades of all time, dude. Uh, in the colloquial Wall Street bets, that's fire version uh, of the word autistic. Sorry for people that are offended, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. But the thing is, um, I mean, the story doesn't quite end there. Yeah, please. Uh, which is, um, and, and I'll, I'll skip, I'll skip some of the parts uh, that you'll have to get her to tell on because I don't want they might be too personal. Although they were public, um, but I'll let her tell them. Um, but the problem is, like many principled, low agreeableness, libertarianish people, um, they're really good at spotting a contrarian trade, but really bad at making money off of it. So, uh, like Peter Schiff has been a gold bug. He, he was a gold bug in 2011, where he made a ton of money. And then he was a gold bug in 2012, where gold crashed in 2013, in 2014, 2015. He waited like eight years for gold to come back, constantly saying the Federal Reserve is printing money. We're going, gold is going to go up. And it never did. Like, you know, he's just stubborn. And, and she had this idea that like, okay, this, this, this virus is out of control. We don't have a handle on this. This is going to be bad. Our economy is falling apart. The stock market has to keep going down. And um, I mean, all those first several things were true we didn't have it under control it was really bad the economy was collapsing but the stock market um you know the federal reserve stepped in to backstop 
all the corporate debt in America and lend new debt to anyone that needed it. Uh, Congress met and they gave out $2.4 trillion in, in free money. Uh, and um, stock market started going back up. And I'm pretty sure she lost a big portion of that and it wow. even doubled down. Uh, and I did this too. So this is how I was following her. I got into this a few weeks after her when I saw she started to have success, uh, which is a fine time to get in. And that's how I made like uh, from, I went from like, uh, like 20 grand to like 180 grand or something, just shorting everything. But then when it started to go back up, I start, kept on shorting, kept on shorting and, and I lost it all. But I'm pretty sure she did cash out part of that. Like at the peak when she had all this money, she was posting, she had formed a VC fund to fund like, uh, like, like viral antiviral therapies and like anyone working on COVID, like she wanted to fund them. Um, but I think, uh, the thing is that as as um, disagreeable and as she is and as uh, instinctively contrarian, there was one investment, though, that she was willing to make um, that uh, on the long side, only one. And that that is Tesla. <laughs> nice. So she took some of her uh, her her mega cash out and, and rolled it into Tesla, uh, which, as we all know, uh, I've been losing money shorting all year. It's oh, up. you've been shorting Tesla. Yeah, it's because it's insane. Tesla's crushing it. Um, but a yeah. lot of people think they're overvalued. It's gone up like eight x because she's a huge Elon Musk fan. She wants to be Elon Musk. Mm. Uh, and um, as far as I know, she didn't have any money really to speak of before this whole thing started. But I probably had some Tesla shares because that's just who she is. Like she doesn't hold it because. Uh, for like bean counting reasons, she holds it because it's Tesla, because wow. <laughs> it's Elon. <laughs> and um, damn, so I wonder what her rate of return has been like, have, since I the beginning no of the virus. I hope basically. she, I hope she has plenty of cash left. Damn. and she, she made a killing because uh, Tesla is, has gone up like another, um, another like two doublings or so, or maybe three since since then. Um, yeah, it's crazy. So, uh, so yeah, so that's how I got into day trading. Uh, and then, so basically you saw her and you were like, Whoa, this is crazy. I want to learn this. I'm like, why not? And, and you know, yeah. wall street bets got kind of big on Reddit. Uh, it's really a cultural force. Like it's crazy. It moves the markets in a huge way. Uh, all the big wall street insiders now are paying attention and to describe it for people who don't know what it uh, is. wall street bets is a subreddit about degenerate gambling on the stock market. It's like a casino, but you get better odds. Um, but why do you get better odds? Uh, because I mean, in general, you know, uh, you can know more about stocks than it's, I think stocks give you, you can have information. You can do like it, research and have all your money on black at a blackjack table. Like you have a slightly less than fifty percent chance, like of winning, pure right? chance. Whereas at least you can have some strategy and information and stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Like I know, I know Microsoft is reporting earnings at the end of the month. Uh, you know, yesterday it dumped on like some bizarre uh, after after the, like the the Capitol Hill riots it, to like the lowest level it's been in a month. I can say I'm going to put my life's savings everything i have on microsoft calls um and from this entry point like i feel like i have a pretty good chance of like you know increasing all my money by like 50 percent uh, i didn't do that but that's the kind of thing people do on wall street bets right or maybe even dumber like a lot of them have gotten rich off of tesla calls which is betting that tesla's going to go up um and uh uh, like, I mean, it's made a ton of millionaires and also a lot of people lost all their money. Like yeah. when, whenever, whenever <laughs> Tesla takes a dip, like a lot of them just have all their money in Tesla calls and they lose tons, but stocks will become memes and everyone starts investing in a particular stock. Right. And that moves the market. It's like a million, several million subscribers. I think it's one of the, well, this is where things get really interesting, where you're going to have influencers that are big enough to basically move the market themselves. So you can have basically investors uh, or traders who are also influencers 
doing this like double-sided game. Here's the thing. So this culture starts uh, late 2019. It really starts getting big, especially with Tesla kind of getting big, uh, SpaceX going public. Wall Street bets really starts growing. But with the uh, with the virus and the lockdowns and the and the crash, what happened in March was unprecedented. Mm-hmm. Um, the stock market fell more, fell quicker than it had in the its entire history. Mm-hmm. It fell like thirty percent in like it was, uh, it was it was just a couple of weeks. Um, and then it rebounded faster than it had in all history. Like, right, you know, faster than nineteen twenty nine. Right, faster than uh, anything that's ever happened before. And so there's this concept, um, like if you're going to day trade, uh, there's, there's a book you have to read, which is Benoit Mandelbrot's um, The Misbehavior of Markets. Benoit Mandelbrot is the, uh, is the fr- guy who invented the concept of the fractal. Um, he's also very interested in financial markets and how to predict them. Um, and he describes that the, the best way to, 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 to model volatility is as time speeding up. And so that's why uh, the last nine months, although I was kind of dumb for most of it was the day traders paradise because you're essentially getting um, more time happening faster. So in a given year, like you might expect the S and P 500 to return 9% in a, in a common year. Well, you know, weeks were going by in a, or years were going by in a week, years of normal time, years of normal price movement. were going by in a week. And we've probably had like 30 years of normal market time this year. And Accelerationism. we Yeah. And we still haven't like complete, like, the VIX, which is a measure of volatility that people expect, still hasn't returned to its normal level mm. yet. So, so we're still in a somewhat accelerated time, um, although a lot less. Uh, this is why um, I found it like several times I, I tried to like stop day trading, um, especially when I was like bad at it. Uh, but it was just like, oh, look at all this opportunity. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Literally, like if you can live 30 years in one year. Like there are many people that made their careers this year as a, as an investor, as a trader. Um, that is, uh, that is without a doubt. And many people that lost their short shirts too. Uh, but like time happened like this, this is, this year was half your career. Uh, like if you're going to be in the market for 50 years or something, because 30 years happened this year, basically. Um, and, um, uh, I was, that's, that's what I had. Yeah. So you were basically telling your story of how you got into all of this. And then you were talking about, um, yeah, like what you've learned what, one of the things I'm curious about is like, do you subscribe to a particular like school of thought when yeah. it comes to strategy? Tell me about that. Um, well, I know I feel a little uncouth pimping a paid product, but, uh, really like, uh, I mean, when I, when I started, uh, I, I'm a hedge eye subscriber, like hedge eye. What is it called? Hedge eye. Oh, okay. How do, how do you spell it? Uh, hedge like your bushes yeah. and then I I um, like just the letter I yeah okay. they, they have two products that I found really useful that started like training me like in a successful mindset uh, one is their morning macro show which they sort of survey all the macroeconomic variables in the world it's like a high info CNBC basically. oh really so yeah. it's like a private subscription TV channel yeah so like, really? well, well it's like they have a 30 minute show in the morning uh, where they're going over uh, all the all the macro environment in the world and they're trying to like uh, set you up for, for what you should be investing in, how aggressively you should be. Um, and, and so there, like a lot of movements in the market can just seem to be random, you know, like why is it going down now? We don't know. But if you are looking at like the, the yield on the treasury bonds, you might see that, Oh, the market is expecting lower growth in the future. Were you already pretty well educated in finance or did you have yeah. to school up on all that? So you already had that background. Yeah. I have a background. I, I did an econ degree. 
Oh, right. On. Um, I did. I was an investment banking analyst uh, for two years. Oh, yeah. I think I knew that. Uh, right, right. Way, like almost more than a decade ago. Because you did say a, few, a little bit ago that you had no experience with trading, but you did have a background in finance and stuff. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I've, I've never, I've only, uh, I have like a poor mindset. Uh, and so like when I got money, when people were paying me, like I just didn't want to spend it. I didn't want to put it at risk. Um, and that was a good decision because like my first money I made as an investment banker was, you know, I was working in an investment bank, uh, in 06, 07 and 08, uh, 08, something happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I didn't know how to like short the market or buy puts at the time. Um, my, my company actually, uh, invented the subprime mortgage REIT, um, that I worked for. It was interesting seeing all of our clients lose their shirts. Um, but, uh, so yeah, I did that for two years, but it was like in the distant past, man. I, then I went into computer science. Right. And I sort of like never touched finance again. Uh, right. But I always had like an, an itch. Um, when I was an investment banking analyst, um, I, uh, I always thought like, you know, I wa- always wanted to use math to make money. And that's not what you do as an investment banker. You're, you make like a lot of marketing materials for deals. Right. Um, you know, I was on M&A and uh, equity capital markets, like doing IPOs kind of. Um, so what is the name of your school of thought? like in terms of strategy and um i would say it's kind of like it's a combination of like macro fundamental analysis and technicals um and uh like they they the the other product i really like from them besides their morning show um is uh they they have a research call uh every day where they have a team of like 10 analysts that will go over like whatever names they're looking at on the short side and the long side um and so i just like you know, I'm, 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 I'm smart enough to know what I don't know. And what is a call? Like you talk with them on a phone call or no, what? you listen to their recorded conversation oh, where like the, the lead guy, he's like getting updates from everybody. It's an awesome business. I bet they make an arm and a leg. Is that super expensive? Uh, it it costs me like, uh, I, I pay them. I, I buy several products. I pay them a little over a hundred dollars a month. Oh, okay. Not too bad. Uh, yes, but they get, um, they definitely have a lot of subscribers because, uh, when, if they, um, if they, tell someone people to buy something like you see it go wild uh i almost like fade what they do i'm like i'll sell if they say buy and buy if they say sell yeah uh but the uh yeah between the call and the macro show uh it's just like better than you'll find the thing is i know enough to know what i don't know and i know like i know enough to know that i think these people seem to know like better than me like i I could research companies on my own um but i could i only have enough time to do I could maybe check out three or four companies a month, right? And that's what they're doing. Um, But they have a team. So basically you're going through like balance sheets and stuff like that. And you're looking for... But I'm not doing that. You're not okay, so you're you're using, doing that. I could do okay, it. right. So you're using uh, the research that's done by research agencies, and you're using that kind of secondary information. But you are essentially looking for patterns, like things that are out of equilibrium, where you're like, okay, yeah. this indicates uh this is not stable there's something's gonna give here and here's what's gonna happen eventually so i'm gonna bet on that's the basic kind of logic yeah and there's also like trend and mean reversion uh so if you see like a a a dislocation like um i do a lot of intraday trading and i'm trying to do a little bit less because it's very stressful but like uh like in the first five minutes of the day sometimes you'll just see like microsoft dump like two percent and you're like why is microsoft dumping two percent is there a meteor hitting the earth? No. Like, so I'm just going to buy all the Microsoft. Wait, I have, I have a leverage, a margin account on the, on this brokerage. I'm going to buy a hundred thousand dollars worth of Microsoft. Like right now on leverage. I mean, I don't care. 
And then, you know, like three minutes later, Microsoft's back up to normal. It was just like a little blip. And you're like, oh, I just made a couple hundred bucks. Wow. Um, and you're like, you know. See, the thing I think I would struggle with is I don't like pursuits where you can be down like at the end of a day. Oh, yeah. But you have to be able to like go to sleep and trust that things will be like, I like to end every day with at least incremental improvement from the last day. So like the, the content creator game and the kind of like these, all these digital hustles that people are doing nowadays, whether it's Substack or YouTube or whatever, like what I like about that game that I'm obviously very immersed in is it's like things, it takes a lot of hard work. It's, you have to be very patient and you have to like really churn out content and be consistent and disciplined. And so things move slow. The needle moves slow, but at least one or two needles should move at least roughly upward between each day. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's very rare that like any sudden thing goes way down. And I like that. So I, I, I feel like if I tried to do day trading any day where I like am down for the day and it's like 11 PM, I know I'm going to be stuck to the computer until 5 AM until I can get up. And that's like the gambler's mindset, which is a bad mindset. And that, so I, I think I, I don't know well, if I'd be suited like personality wise. I mean, it's, it's not, um, it's like a little fun and a little bit not fun. Like, <laughs> You know, I'm definitely like a little strung out at the moment. I'm trying to get more exercise and to calm down more. Um, and I don't want to do it forever. Um, I just think it's, uh, I think I might have figured out how to do it. And I, and I think this is a good six months to do it. Um, but yeah, it's not meaningful at all. Mm. Um, like at the end of the day, like I made money off of like, I don't know, buying and selling something abstract on a screen. Do you have like eight monitors in your office with like uh, green no. lines everywhere? <laughs> uh, no, just two. But I think about getting a Bloomberg terminal. with like Johnny, Johnny, buy now. Four, four buy, monitors. buy, buy. Uh, uh, I can I can afford one. So I, I th like all the, the professional traders I watch, like a lot of them have that. You're right. Um, but, uh, but I do feel, I feel like a spider, basically. <laughs> like I'm in the middle of this web of numbers. Yeah. And like I'm watching, I'm watching treasury yields. I'm watching overseas markets. I'm watching all the all the tech stocks and everything i'm watching all the other stocks i'm like i'm i'm, I'm seeing what happened like yesterday when the capital got stormed um i didn't know that the capital got stormed at first i just saw the market crash <laughs> and like I, I flipped through my screens i'm like oh crypto's down s&p's down everything's down like this is this is a, a volatility spike hitting everything so um it's i mean it, probably like something bad happened or it's just like a little moment of panic and so i bought a lot of i bought a lot of stock on the dip um that paid off today and um, and then later on, I found out that the capital got stormed. Interesting. Um, and uh, that's um, and, you know, it's very amoral. But there's things I like about it, um, which I, I sort of like. The amoralness of the of the trader and the finance person is better than like distorted morality. Right. Like it's very objective. Right. Honest amorality is better than like pretentious fake like hyper morality. Like, yeah, you're never going to have like s someone that fits the new political paradigm come in and get promoted to the top of a trading firm because you know why? Because they're just going to lose money. You know, Google can like make fake posts for like for for woke people in their company to like please the woke people um and like try it and hope they don't do too much damage, but a trading company absolutely cannot do that. I mean, maybe they could do that, but they can't let them anywhere near the trades or how people think. Um you know, and at the end, and it's very objective. Like at the end of the day, like, did you make money? Uh, that's right. That's all that matters. Um, and uh, right. And then, um, and and I, I like the I like the people kind of. I think I like the people in it. Um, like they're mostly like pretty generous, especially if they've done well and and pretty free with their information. Um, so you're like very embedded in a community where you're talking with uh, people all the time. Oh, and there's Finchwit and the podcasting scene. 
which is which is overlapping with the crypto scene now. Yeah. Uh, basically, you can right. tell any uh, if if someone's like a trading guy guru, like uh, like you know Keith McCullough. A lot of people that runs Hedgeye. A lot of people think he's he sounds kind of like he's full of it, but um, you know, but he's into Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, a lot of the guys won't touch Bitcoin. Oh yeah. You know, because they're like, well, that's not a traditional asset class. I'm like, well, yeah, yeah. Don't, yeah. don't listen to those people. If they're if they don't if they're if they haven't didn't buy Bitcoin sometime this year. Like, don't listen to anybody. Yeah, that that's a trading group. Mm. Interesting. That's cool, man. That's all. That's I'm well, I'm glad you're enjoying it and finding it like intellectually stimulating, even if immoral. And uh, well, you know, I want to be like you when I grow up and like, like work, me. Yeah, like and work on like my intellectual pursuits and be intellectually serious and read books instead of tweets and uh, <laughs> and actually like do something good for the world. Right now, I just feel like I'm gathering a bunch of acorns so that like later I can do good. Um, Fair enough. And, yeah. Uh, but I don't feel like I'm really doing anything with my time that's like worthwhile uh, when it comes to making money. It's just making money. Right. Right. But I'm trying to make money now. <laughs> I'm yeah. like doing like what I believe in, and I'm very you know authentic and and honest and like passionate about doing what I believe in and doing it right and and doing it like uh, straightforwardly and and transparently. But it's slow for making money. Like I, I'm in a it's a slow grind. I think I'm winning for sure. And I'm think I'm going to make a lot of money in the long run. But, um, the idea of like making bets that could make mad money, like very quickly is like super exciting to me because it's like the opposite of what I'm doing. It's such a slow grind, but well, you know, what changed for me between, um, between, uh, being net negative and, uh, and being, uh, and, and, and consistently making money is I stopped using options mostly. Why? Uh, because I couldn't handle the volatility. Like I, I, I come from a poverty mindset. Um, like I, I didn't grow up with that much money. Um, I've never had money until uh, very recently, and uh, and it hurts me too much to see my position down when it's as volatile as an option is. Right. Because option prices, basically, for people for whom the stock market is too boring, there are some ways to make it more interesting to speed up time for yourself. And right. you do that by taking out leverage. Uh, and there's an, an option is a form of leverage. Leverage just means borrowing money to buy more stock. Yeah. So if you if you borrow a dollar for every dollar you put in, now you can buy two shares of a stock instead of one, and now you get twice the gains or twice the losses, but you owe that person that that money back at the end of the day. Dude, well, yeah, no, totally. And uh, so I stopped trading options because I couldn't handle like on a down day when I was caught out of position, like seeing myself down like ten grand in an hour. It was just like, Ugh! yeah, I can't, Ugh, I couldn't. So what do you do now? Like commodities or what? No, just, just, just stocks. And like equities, just equities, equities, commodities in commodity ETFs, like just very publicly traded stuff. I don't trade Bitcoin. I just hold it. Um, and, and this whole game is kind of like ridiculous because Bitcoin has been better than what I've made, but it was just kind of like, it does help soothe my, um, my fears about yellowing my life on Bitcoin because I'm like, well, if Bitcoin crashed, I can do this and make a living. Um, do you think there's any universe in which Bitcoin really crashes? Like, what would happen to cause that? I, I just have scars from 2018. Yeah, like, yeah. I lost 80 percent of my cash, and oh, I, did, I didn't even pay off my student loans at the top. Oh wow! Like, I could have easily. I, I was. I was. Oh, you mean the last bull run of, of yeah, 2017? Of, right. I had. I had more. Holy shit! And uh, for like for like three weeks, and you could have cashed out and paid off all your. I could have paid debt. off my student debt. Right. And I didn't even do that. Right. Like I, I lost. I lost the vast majority of that. Like over 80 percent. Oh, um, and I just wrote it all the way down. I didn't do anything. I was very unsophisticated, and now I'm, maybe I'm too sophisticated. Uh, but um, <laughs> right, uh, but uh, that's the way the world goes. Fascinating, dude. Maybe we could do a thing 
where you come on regularly as kind of like the the like finance contributor. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like imagine you did a segment with me like semi regularly to like report on like markets. <laughs> I mean, I can definitely. <laughs> That'd be cool. I, I know a lot about markets, man. That would be kind of interesting. I know where the S and P closed today. <laughs> I know what the price of Bitcoin was when we started. Don't know where it is now. Hope it's higher. <laughs> Dude, I check all the time. Yeah, it's it's wild. Uh, well, we're we, we're now doing uh, about two hours. So yeah, well, that's good. I feel like we should wrap it up now. Yeah. Uh, people have been uh, quite attentive though, so this is fun. Thank you for being my first in person podcast guest in the in the home studio. We got going on here, so thank you, Jacob. Yeah, someone says crypto is all about following the memes. I disagree. Uh, don't follow the memes. Don't buy meme stocks. And don't follow don't follow meme currencies. You, you want you want Bitcoin. The only purpose of holding a shitcoin. Pardon my French is to get more Bitcoin because uh, you think it might go up faster than Bitcoin to help you increase your stash. But uh, that's a very dangerous play because you could lose Bitcoin and you don't want to lose Bitcoin. In the future, there will be people that hold full coins and people that don't. And the people that hold full coins will live in a paradise in the sky. And the people that don't will be, uh, you know, living in the darkness. Under what do you mean around. by full coin? Uh, full Bitcoin. Uh, so, I, I only have like half. Well, don't don't say how much Bitcoin you own. Why is that bad? Yeah, it's kind of a but it's not a lot. Pas. It's not a lot relative yeah. to like is why is it a faux? I feel like it's a faux pas if you have a ton and you're yeah, bragging probably, but, but like it's a modest amount, you know, in the Bitcoin world. But maybe you know this fall when a Bitcoin's worth like three million dollars, people will know that you have a half a Bitcoin. I just say everything that is true. I can never okay. like hold back things. I'm bad at that. Um, All right, well we can we can call in. I'm sorry. Now, to keep don't people always on like financial shows and shit? Don't people always say like everyone's always at pains to say this is not financial. Yeah, this is not advice, financial, but you didn't say that. <laughs> Well, I want to say uh, just one last thing that I learned, which is I learned that if you are investing in any way, the worst thing you can ever do is talk about what you're doing uh, to unsophisticated people. Oh, shit. Um, we, you, even if you're not offering them advice, they they might copy you if you're excited about a trade. Um, and like every time that I've done that, uh, I've regretted it. And, and I've come to realize why there's rules in place to prevent people from offering financial advice. Because it's it's the worst thing when... You know, some middle-aged lady with her 401k, right? Like copies your trade and then loses money on it. Um, so this is not financial advice. So for me, there's a lot of people out there watching this who are not, you know, with all due respect to you, you know, you don't maybe know these things. I don't know these things well. So don't ever do anything with your money that you heard on Justin Murphy's podcast. I mean, for, for me, I take complete responsibility for any trade I make. That's another thing you have to do. Uh, so it's kind of a be careful in what you put out, be generous in what you take in thing. Because if I make the decision to press buy or sell based on what I heard someone else say, at the end of the day, I can't say like he made me do it. Like that doesn't do anything. I lost, you know, um, and that's just what it is. And I did it. Uh, and um, and you have to you if you're going to make any trades in, in these markets, especially with, you know, a Bitcoin asset that's gone up 4x this year already, um, you need to take responsibility and be ready uh, to lose money. Uh, or to lose dollar value in, in the Bitcoin. You're not losing money because Bitcoin is money, but uh, you know, that's just, just be cautious out there. It's a wild, it's a wild market. That's an excellent parting message of caution and prudence. And uh, once again, thank you, Jacob. Oh, this is fun. No, this is really fire. Fun. This is fire. The I stuff hope. about uh, the stuff about blockchain and Christianity was fire. Your stories about like trading and how you got into it. And Daniel Fang's Fong. Daniel. Daniel Fong. Daniel Fong. I'm sorry, First, Daniel, if I got any of the details wrong. I thought or, I thought it was like a genius, but 
you know, it was just, it was, it was, it was quite something to watch. No, super um, cool. I'll reach out to her. I think we've maybe interacted once or twice on Twitter. Um, so she sounds like a badass. And uh, no, there's a lot of fire in here. Thanks for, thanks for coming and bringing your A game, man. All right. All right. Folks, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Click the bell. Check out Jacob's channel. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. And uh, also subscribe to the podcast so you can get this on your phone and a bunch of other stuff on your phone. Uh, I got a bunch of other things going on, but I won't bore you with plugging a ton of things. Just thanks for hanging out and expect much more of this. Also expect this room to be much nicer in coming weeks and months. I'm going to be working on it. It's a work in progress. But as always, thanks, folks. I appreciate you. And uh, I'll see you back on here sometime soon. Later. Peace. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, you should send it to a friend. Just email it to them or post it on your social networks, whatever. And to learn more about what we discussed in this podcast or to send me questions to address in future episodes, please just go to otherlife.co and you'll find everything there. There's actually a ton of cool stuff on there. So check it out if you haven't already. Thanks again, folks. I'll see you here next time.